This podcast was recorded and produced on Wuthering Country. We acknowledge the original custodians of the land and pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to part one of The Lost Soldier with John Shanahan. This is the story of Nathan Shanahan, an ex-serviceman and emergency service worker that lost his battle to PTSD and mental health in 2016. Nathan was an incredible advocate for PTSD and mental health awareness and he did some amazing things that has now led on to an incredible and unforgettable legacy that he's left not only his family but all of those continuously suffering through PTSD and mental health. Just a trigger warning, this episode does contain many discussions around suicide If you do need a break at any time, please do so. If this may not be the episode for you, then please tune in another time. If you need help, Lifeline and Beyond Blue resources are in the description of this episode. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. My name is Sean Weir. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Today is a very, very special episode. I've often had uh, had some guests on that have had some... uh, pretty inspirational stories, some incredibly sad stories, uh, some motivating stories and uh, all around just just some absolutely heartbreaking stories as well. Um, and I think that most of the stories that we've we've covered in this podcast have had a really big effect on people, um, both both positive and negatively um, and you know more inspirational as well. And I think this story that we're going to go through today um, may hit all of those emotions. And uh, I've got John Shanahan here. John is from uh, Walk Off the Wall Within, and uh, John's here to tell the story about uh, about his son Nathan um, and the uh, the legacy that he left through the Walk Off the Wall Within. And you would have seen the Walk Off the Wall Within event that we uh, were attending just a few weeks back in Ballarat, and uh, it's actually an Australia-wide event. Um, I'll let John go into that a little bit more later, but. It's a great event we've been involved in for about three or four years now. Um, has some great, uh, great legacy that has been left behind, and it's something that we uh, definitely get involved with in every single year. A great way to raise awareness around PTSD and mental health. So, firstly, John, welcome, mate. Thanks a lot, Sean, for having me along. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming. So, as I mentioned at the start, mate. The, the story that you have uh, you know, about Nathan, about the legacy that he left through the walk off the wall within, um, it's something that always touches a lot of people's hearts when, when you know, we, we are um, discussing it. And I, I still remember the first day that um, I met yourself and it was a few weeks before, I think it may have been the very first walk off the wall within event, um, and you told me the story. So this would have been about four years ago, four or five years ago. Um, and... It affected me pretty immediately. Like it was uh, extremely emotional. It was it was incredible what sort of legacy was left behind. And, uh, and then when we went to the first event, it was just so um, apparent to see just how much uh, Nathan did for uh, mental health awareness and how amazing his his legacy was then and continues to be now. So um, I'm going to pass it over to you, John, and uh, you tell the tell the story best. But tell us about uh, tell us about Nathan. Um, I'll start off first, Sean. Nath uh, was the second of Les and my um, children. 
he's got an older sister, Felicity, and then Nath came along. And Felicity and Nath were extremely very close growing up together, went to school together, etc. Um, and throughout teenage years, Nath was very protective of his sister, um, even though she was a bit older. Um, but he was like any young bloke as he grew up. He went through primary school, uh, progressed to going to some Pats for secondary school. Um, there was a stage there because I was a teacher at uh, Clunes and Felice and Nath did their primary school out there. And I thought, gee, not a lot of these kids are going to go on to secondary school. Felice was going to go to Loretto and um, Nath was going to go to St Pat's. And I thought, really, being an ex-school teacher myself, I thought, that's probably a bit of a harsh uh, transition um, at that age of from grade six onwards, going through uh, teenage years. So I elected to bring them into St Thomas More here in Ballarat. Felice did grade six in Ballarat and Nath did grade five and grade six. Um, I was probably the most hated dad for the first month or so because I'd taken them away from all their friends and they had to start again. But then it was just a very easy transition to them in secondary school because they'd both made friends at that school and those kids were going on to uh, Phyllis Loretto and Nath at St Pat's. Nath at St Pat's, probably his highlight was he was, um, look, he was a very capable kid but hated school and he probably was a kid that um, if there was an award to be given, um, he'd probably receive the truancy award. Um, at the time, we uh, were um, working at two different locations. We had a pub and I was still doing school teaching and... Inevitably, Les would ring me, uh, son's at home here. I'd ring the school and say, uh, is Nathan at school? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I think you better check because he's not. But anyway, he went through some pats. And after he went through some pats, he um, joined the pub game with me and Les. And he worked in um, our pubs. And that was also a great experience for him in life, etc. Um, and probably one of the most interesting and one that gave him an unbelievable outlook on life was the Euston Hotel. We uh, bought that and he worked behind the bar. Um, the whole area up through Sunraysia, I think we're all very familiar that it is a high drug area. It has mafia contacts, etc. But Nath handled himself very well because while I was there, I also sponsored the Robinvale Football Club and he was a pretty uh, talented young bloke and very dedicated to his footy. So he played footy with Robinvale and um, I uh, sponsored the club and ironically... Felice was also moved up there with us because she got a job with the police 
in Mildura and she was right hand person to one of the big chiefs up there which she came home one night and said dad I don't know whether I can really work in the bar anymore and I said I've been wondering about that darling and she said hmm a lot of your customers are our customers <laughs> so we enjoyed our time up at Robin Vale um, and Nath enjoyed it but he also did work out on um, a very big farm owned by one of the big um, power brokers up there and um, he really enjoyed that. He enjoyed outdoor activities a lot. Um, in his footy, I can always remember, uh, it was the seconds, he was dropped back to the seconds and they were a very strong unit, a very strong group. If they went out into Mildura of a Saturday night, which obviously they did because there was nothing much happening around Euston, Robin Vale, it was all to the big smoke of Mildura. And um, I quick smart learnt that, as all young blokes do, they tend to get themselves into a bit of mischief and a bit of trouble, etc. But they all backed one another. They were very united and close group. And they took that onto the football field. And I'll always remember, um, they finished third on the ladder and South Mildura finished on top of the ladder and it had a lot of the uh, coppers playing for it, etc. Um, but anyway, cut a long story short, they um, paired off with South Mildura um, in the grand final. I just said to Nathan at half-time, just rally the guys because they'll come back at 100 miles an hour and throw everything at you the last game. They did, but they threw everything back because Nathan was very, very, and right through to his death, he was a very, very loyal person to people that were friends, to people that he played footy with. He was very loyal to them, very loyal. And because of his bulk and size, etc., um, and he did do a little bit of boxing, um, he could look after himself, and that was always a worry for me at times. But anyway, so they ended up winning the game, etc., so that was a really pleasing thing to see that they did stick together. Then after that, um, he uh, moved to WA because he was a... Um, functions manager for the Subi Football Club. All right, everything was going along fine there, but he ended up breaking down and he couldn't get to that level with his um, injuries that he had. So he ended up going down to Kalgoorlie. And down at Kalgoorlie, an interesting town, I don't know whether you've been there or not. No, I haven't, no. It's a, an interesting town. Yeah. So he went there and he played football and then he also managed one of the big pubs there. And... He ran into Coach, and Coach and Nath became uh, partners and married and had um, Lila Rain and Ari Francis. So after he worked at Kalgoorlie for a while, he also did concreting with a good mate, Brad Stacey, and the mischief they used to get up to, especially of a Sunday, out on boats, etc. and of course alcohol was involved and sinking of boats and how they escaped, I don't know. But anyway, they used to always manage to get home. Um, and then 
he rang me and said to me, Dad, I think I'll join the army. And I said, oh, have you thought about it? Yes, yep, 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 yep. So at any rate, he went off and joined the army. And um, while he was in the army, he seemed very happy and contented. And I look back now and I can see why that was so. And that was because it was like a footy team, looking back to Robin Vale. He had comradeship. Your back was looked after. There was no backstabbing. You were all one together. And he, he did. He really enjoyed the army. And to be honest, Sean, at that stage, I was pretty dumb and had no idea of how brutal the army could be. And I dare say that would be similar to a lot of other parents. Anyway, he decided he always liked to live on the edge at times. Unless there was adrenaline flowing and unless there was something that could turn pretty ugly, it didn't excite him a lot. He wasn't interested in mundane things. So he rang me and said, I'm going to do SAS training. And I don't know whether you know much about the SAS. I've, I've, seen, a, I've seen a lot of videos and, and read books and stuff like that. I know it's, it's next level. It's, it's totally intense. It's not... Well, it's basically almost inhumane. Some of the things that they do, like even just going about sleep deprivation and how they go about doing that, etc. Very, very demanding. And that's why they've only got um, this small group of people that do do it. But anyway, he really did well in that. And um, he was a crack marksman. And then out of the blue, I got a phone call because we had an agreement that if anything was to happen with the army, you were allowed one phone call. And I said, always ring Coach first and then Coach can relate back to us and I can pass on to Felice. So I get this phone call from him and I said, what's the go, son? He said, um, I've been trying to get Coach. I'm out. I'm in Perth and I'm flying home to Darwin to Coach. Can you please let her know? And after that, he told me that when you get questioned at some stage and if there's any little doubt that they feel that you perhaps aren't totally committed, only got to be a, a small doubt there, um, they just say, well, we think you best not continue on and then have a talk to them. But then just virtually says, well, bye-bye, find your way home or, you know, airfares are paid and that. So anyway, um, so he ended up back home and, oh, you know, that was a pretty bumpy road for Coach and Nath. And um, something that I'll never, ever forget also was their idea of his rehabilitation of then suddenly realising he wasn't going to be in the SAS um, was basically put you up in a big motel room, 
um, feed you up on a heap of beautiful food, booze, etc. And that was your therapy. There was nothing about looking at your mental side of things. And I think this is things where, um, which really start to cause trouble, that they don't get their true handle around it and don't look at it. So anyway, um, while Nath was in the army and where most of his problems started was with a peacekeeping mission on the Solomon Islands and probably a lot of um, everyday person wouldn't have even known that we were up there doing a peace commission. Um, and I look back now and myself as a dad never handled that very well um, and I felt looking back now that I did let him down with not enough communications, etc. But I wasn't also made aware of how much communication we could have or what we couldn't have. But the one thing when Nath came out, he said to me, he said, Dad, people wouldn't understand this. But he said, you're patrolling and you've got kids six and seven with machine guns coming at you. Did you just stay? Well, hold on, let's have a talk about this. He said, no, it's either you or them. And that's what makes me a little bit cross at the moment. People don't understand how little time decision-making they have to make some of these um, decisions. And it's self-preservation, basically. Anyway, so he um, ended up getting out of the army and becoming a fiery. And I'll also, a funny side of that was... Um, he became a fiery, he was looking at the police or the fireys and I said, oh, I think a fiery might be perhaps a little bit better. Um, so he joined and he was stationed at Alice Springs. That was one thing Nath and Coach took the family, Les and myself and Phyllis and Greg, our son-in-law, and uh, family around to many parts of Australia um, because he lived in a heap of different parts of Australia. Anyway, um, and the, probably one of the funniest things about that was Nath was at the Darwin, at the Alice Springs show with Lila. And, of course, we all know the shooting galleries with the ducks, how, you know, the ducks never fall down because they're just rigged, etc. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Lila goes, Daddy, you're a very good shot. I'd love that big bear. No worries. Darling, I'll, I'll organise that. So he's gone bang, bang. And he knew very well he knocked all of them. And the bloke goes, oh, no winner. Nath goes, SAS trained. You might like to rethink that. Oh, what would she like? Oh, not just one. I think you better give us two. <laughs> so Lila was very intrigued with that well and truly. So while he was with the... Um, Fireys in Alice Springs, naturally he was closer to home and he got a feeling of coming back and seeing a lot of us that he would like to join the Fireys in Victoria. 
And I thought, well, that's pretty good. We're going to have him close to home. So I did say to him, um, well, look, son. So he did get accepted in the Victorian fires. And while he was out at Fiskville doing his training, I said, and Lila at that stage was uh, only very young. Um, Ari was, in actual fact, only a baby. Um, he probably might have been only three or four weeks old. Anyway, um, I said to him, well, if you can put up with mum and dad, I said, I think it seems silly to rent a place. Coach can stay at home. Les and myself both work. And I said, the house is your house and you come home every weekend. So that was a wonderful time, um, the time he did his training there because we had a lot of time with him and Phyllis and the um, nieces and nephews, their children, and Greg were able to spend time with him also. So we got to see a fair bit of him there. So then when it came uh, to um, being uh, appointed to a place, he ended up going to Mildura. And he logged up in Mildura, which was ideal because Kosha's family was from South Australia. We were from Victoria here. So it was a good, good fit for everyone. And I thought, well, gee, this is really great. This is really great. We've got a son back home that I didn't think we'd have back home. Anyway, as time went on, I never twigged it, but he had a wonderful way of disguising um, the situation that he was finding himself in. Um, and then out of the blue, he told Felice first, and I was the last to be told that he was suffering from depression. So he decided that he would walk from Mildura to Adelaide in full army gear, carrying 28 kilos. And he set himself a target to do that. A phenomenal effort when you think about it. Because he said, I'm going to call it walking off the wall within because I'm fighting a war within and I think it's very appropriate. Now, his walk from Mildura to Adelaide with his 28 kilos in full army gear, he was able to do that in 10 days, which is no mean feat. He was covering 40-odd k's a day. And the ironical thing about it, on the first day... He actually, it started to pour rain. All right, they were not far out of town, and when they were out of town, this cattle truck come along with um, cattle on, and of course all the piss and shit from the truck went all over them. But he said that was fine, Dad, because only another k down the road, and it was raining, so we were showered. But unfortunately, that set the pattern that he ended up losing his toenails um, because his feet had softened up. But that night, we stayed at the Lake Coleraine Caravan Park and those people were wonderful to us. They were doing tough times, really, really tough times. But they gave all of us, his support crew, the family, um, free accommodation. That night we went out to a 
hotel and oh, the name just skips me for a moment. Yeah, it just skips me, but it, it was not far out of town. And we, we rocked up there and the place was crowded because it had been raining all day. The publican called me aside and said, you don't mind if I have a crack at getting a bit of money first? I said, no, that's fine. We're just here for Nathan to tell the story to these people, what he's up to and what he's doing. Had a wonderful meal, wonderful meal. But I can always remember sitting in the uh, lounge while we're having our tea, you looked up and you thought, these people are doing it tough. The poor publican, the plaster's falling down on the roof. As the night went on and Nath spoke, got behind the bar and spoke, there was people come up and one person in particular said, this is all the money I've got and just tipped out their wallet. They were celebrating because it was raining and breaking the drought for them. So it was a comparison of two different moods for two different reasons. The rain was affecting Nath's walk, but that wasn't worrying him. Um, but the rain was giving these people hope and faith that there was going to be a life there for them. A lot of them opened up and told us that they had um, neighbours on the land who'd taken their life because they couldn't handle banks anymore and just couldn't handle the pressure of drought, no money and not seeing the end. So that, it inter, that, that stuck very firmly in my mind, um, that it was a coincidence. We should be at this hotel and seeing the whole blend come together for mental health. It was really great. Alright, anyway, so the next morning I went down to the local shop to buy some pies, etc. for a morning smoker to take out the road. Les had headed off with Nathan, the rest of them. And the girl that served me, she said, Oh, you're John, Nathan's dad. I said, mm, how do you know that? She said, I served you your tea last night out at the pub. I said, oh, thank you. She said, we want to donate these pies, etc." I said, no, no, no. She said, no, we want to be part of it. Now, I thought that was a wonderful gesture too because they would have been doing it tough. Anyway, so we got out there and that walk was an intriguing walk because there was an instance of a lady that went screaming past. She came back, gave Nath a big hug. She cried, emptied a purse and there was just some silver in it. This is all I've got. Nath said no. She was in a car and goodbye. Someone we've never seen before and haven't seen since and I hope and pray to God that she's safe but she was suffering badly to also a big truckie that pulled up nearly crushed Nathan Nathan was a Nathan was a very big unit himself and very physically fit um, he said oh keep it up he said I suffer badly and they had a little bit of a private talk which was great so in that whole scenario, he was meeting various people all the way along the road. So we uh, 
got to, um, we actually fudged the night before. Um, he came and slept at the caravan park that we were staying at um, and no one knew. And then we took him back out the road so it looked as if he walked in in the morning. He still covered his full distance. Um, that was an unbelievable because there was, was um, Anzac Day, I'm pretty sure I remember rightly. So at the shrine there was a lot, a lot of people and there was a lot of people that he was caught up with. And just seeing all those people was really, really good because once again that brought the military side of things into the whole perspective, um, which as we go further down I'll say to you. Um, so that was a really very interesting and a very challenging but a very fulfilling event, his walk. Um, Les and Koch and Lila travelled in one car. Nath, myself and Ari, Nath's son, we travelled in the car behind him. Anyway, I really talking to him on the way back to Mildura, I really, really thought that, um, yes, we've conquered this. We've conquered this. But I was probably too naive and silly to realise it was too raw. I needed to be analysing things further down the track. So, and of course, further down the track, um, we suddenly found... Um, I went and picked Nath up. Uh, Phyllis took me up to Mildura. Um, we felt Koch needed a break. The kids needed a break. And probably one of the saddest things, on the way up, I said to Felice, I said, now, I don't know whether we're going to... I said, we better make sure we've got a change of clothes because I don't know whether he'll come with us or not. But I said, I'm not leaving until we can get him back home here and give everyone a break and see if I can't hopefully sort something out. Anyway, um, so we took that. And it was terribly, terribly sad because, yes, he did decide to come home with us. But on the way up, I said to Felice, make sure the kids' locks are all on. She sort of looked and I said, well, who knows? He could jump out on us or anything. I said, so we just need some precautions. Anyway, um, and it was just so sad as Kesh was saying goodbye to him. Little Ari was standing there, looking up at his dad. And Nath just wandered off. Terribly hard thing. Extremely hard. Anyway, he said to Phyllis, I'll drive. And Phyllis goes, no, I'll drive. Ah, oh, so you think I'm going to run you into a tree or something? All right, so we stopped at Witchy Proof to get something to eat and, of course, he went to get out. Doors were locked. Ah, oh, kids' locks on. So I was going to jump out, was I? So he, he was thinking these things that we were thinking. 
So obviously, you know, I don't know, it was very bizarre. So we got him back home and when we got him back home, we um, then I said to him, well, Rodeo, son, let's have a big talk and let's really see where we can start and where we can actually um, see if we can't get help. I'm telling you, Dad, all they'll fucking do with you is just give you paper after paperwork and they just weigh you down with paper. They don't want to help you. And I said, oh, surely that can't be the case. But anyway, had him to the doctor and the doctor actually, they prescribed some medication for him. He took it this night and it was the most horrific. We had him in a room near where we slept, Les and myself. And he was just unbelievable. I went into the bedroom and he was obviously, he was up the walls, he was, the bed linen was drenched with sweat and he was certainly yelling and screaming, etc. And the next morning I said to him, I said, well, son, what did you really think? You had a pretty terrible night. He said, I had a fucking terrible night, Dad, and I'm not taking them again. All right, during the day we had a bit more of a talk because he has had time off at this stage. All right, so we, um, he decided again next night. All right, that was worse. So I ended up, I rang the doctor and I said, look, this isn't working. All right, then I was told, um, oh, it, it'll take probably 28 days to kick in. I said, well, we haven't got fucking time for 28 days. I said, he'll be dead. I said, I'm not giving it to him anymore. And we didn't. And something that always stuck in my mind was he also... I'd go in of a morning and say to him when he wasn't working, we'll open the drapes. he go, why open the fucking drapes, Dad? It's dark in my world in here. Open them and all we see is... Pissy, drizzly, grey skies and shitty Ballarat weather. I thought, oh, well, you're true there. Uh, and I can understand why winter is a depressing time for a lot of Ballarat people. Um, and to hear him actually say that, it made me realise. Anyway, so we ventured on and he certainly wasn't wrong with the amount of paperwork that you got. The paperwork that you got was... Just incredible. They just love to burden you with paperwork. So as a result of that, I quick smart learnt he was right. They just burden you with paperwork to the point where these people are actually, and I'm speaking now from an army perspective, these people are actually looking for people to grab them, grab them in their arms, and take them somewhere for help, somewhere where they know they're going to be safe and not have to go through all this paperwork, phone work and all of that. That's not what they want. They just can't handle it. And that's why, and especially with veterans, um, that's why a lot of them just will not um, turn to that sort of thing. 
Now, that also leads me to the point of the Royal Commission into um, vets. Jackie Lambie, who I've had a lot to do with in the last 12 months, is very, very passionate on uh, this. She brought up in 2014 that there needed to be a Royal Commission into vets um, to help things. And lo and behold, we're 2021, so seven years. And in that period of time, the amount of people that have died and had to go through with what we've gone through is horrific. Whereas if politicians had to put aside their political beliefs and looked at it from a humane point of view, we probably would have saved a lot more people. So with that... I honestly also believe, because I got a phone call after um, Nath died, and it was either 24 or 48 hours after Nath died from the DVA. Anyway, this bloke said, oh, all the paperwork's not filled in and started to carry on. Well, I flipped and I just said, I'll tell you what, mate, you're nothing but a fucking cunt. I said... This is David and this is Goliath. I said, David will win this battle. I said, the only way David won't win this battle is he'll die. But I hope in the meantime, the legacy that Nath sets up and with the push that we're doing, and little did I realise that it would go to this far, that um, we will see victory in the end and which we certainly can claim that. So I just said to her, I said, you can get fucked, and, and I just hung up. Les was in tears and said, who was that that you've just abused? And she said, oh, you can't do that. I said, well, look, we've lost our son. Am I supposed to lay in the corner? Why wouldn't I be angry? I'd seen all the injustice that had been done. We would be out in a supermarket with Nath and I quick smart learnt that if you went to a supermarket it had to be early in the morning. If we were there at dinner time or that, he'd suddenly, or there was a crowd around, he would suddenly grab me by the arm and say, Dad, they're looking at me, they're coming after me. I've got to get out. Come on, we've got to get out, get out. I used to think, my God. And then there was a day, uh, Felice and Greg's children, the two girls, um, go, all the kids go to grammar, wonderful school, they were very supportive and we held Nath's service at the Wendaree Performing Arts Centre and that was a tribute in itself to him. Um, there was not a seat available and no standing room. Um, there at that funeral um, and we were out at the farm and it was um, a parent's family day etc to look and see how the farm operates out there a wonderful wonderful education facility it's so far ahead of times it's just brilliant anyway and the girls have been lucky they've been able to go through it and we were 
suddenly inside and he grabbed me. Dad, got to get out of here. Come on. I said to Les, we've got to get going. So he couldn't stand crowds. He could he he just didn't feel safe within crowds or that. So it was all this sort of effect that was coming out to me in that six months of um of his life um that he'd spent with us that I was seeing this sort of thing and starting to realise where we were at that it was a a terrible scenario. Anyway, um I uh he rang me um the night he was up in Mildura the night before he um took his own life and we spoke for hours and I got off the phone and I was really convinced that I'd sort of made some headway and I said to him at one stage during that conversation I said what do you want in life Nate he said dad I just want to be happy I just want to be with Coach and the kids and just want to be a normal person. I said, well, that's good. Well, you know, that's what we'll be aiming for. Yet that morning when I got up and I went to work, I had a terrible gut feeling something bad was going to happen. I don't know what made me think that. I tried a couple of times and then Coach sent me some information, etc., and I knew then that we are on the road to total disaster, which unfortunately, yes, he was coming back from Mildura and, yes, he decided to take his own life. Um, so it's been a hell of a, a trial, but walking off the wall within, he would be so proud to see pre-COVID we had nine walks going throughout Australia. Um, I thought that was a wonderful legacy. And they were set up, you know, mentioned Kalgoorlie, etc. Um, his friends over there, they had a wonderful walk over there. We all went across as a family. Um, so there was walks scattered everywhere that I thought, well, this is really, truly, truly wonderful that um, we can see what is actually going on and these people are all doing it for one reason and it's to help people with mental health. Everyone was there for a the same reason. So that's something that I can certainly really be proud of, that out of his work, walked him, um, from Mildura to Adelaide, was something that evolved a national a national um, legacy. And I always said when we lowered his casket, I would keep up the legacy of for mental health and it was always my motto and the family's motto, if we can save one person and one family of going through what we went through, we feel we've achieved a lot a hell of a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in for part one of The Lost Soldier with John Shanahan. 
we will be back next Thursday with part two. I hope everyone is doing okay. It is an incredibly emotional story. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, there is resources available in the description of this podcast. If you have any questions for John or for the team at the Walk of the Wall Within, you can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Walk of the Wall Within. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next week.